Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, we are ready for the third journey of Paul. Uh, We finished up uh, his second journey uh, last time. He's going to be retreading some familiar ground on this journey, but honestly, a lot of this journey is going to center around Paul's work in Ephesus, where he spends longer than just about anywhere. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. Um, And it'll do us good to spend some time kind of getting to know this church here, uh, because of course it'll be at the center of Paul's writing in Ephesians. Uh, Even that's where Timothy is in and when Paul writes First Timothy, and it's also a church that's brought up in Revelation as well. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a very well-known um, New Testament church, and so it'll be cool to kind of see the beginnings and see Paul doing some work there uh, in Ephesus. Yeah, and we do know that um, at the end of the second journey, he had planned to come back there. We don't know exactly how much time goes on in between that, but in uh, Acts 18 and verse uh, 20, he had dropped off Aquila and Priscilla, there in Ephesus, and they had asked him to stay longer, and he declined. Um, but uh, he says, "I'll return to you if God wills," and he sets sail. So he is going to come back, and he is going to spend a lot longer. Uh, so that's what we begin here in Acts 18, picking up. We'll finish up chapter 18, get into chapter 19. But let's read Acts 18, verses 23 through 28. I am reading from the English Standard Version. Uh, Paul has just come back to Antioch. Chapter 18, verse 23. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Well, as we know, Paul, he loves those churches up in the Galatia and, and Phrygian region. He'll spend a good bit of time with them in the other missionary journeys. So it's no surprise that he goes back through there to strengthen these disciples and spend some time with them there in verse 23. Tells us almost nothing about his time there. I know. Just, and he went through those regions, strengthening the churches. Um, kind of old hat for him at that point in terms of just you know getting to be with those brethren and spend time with them. Yeah, well, I guess this would have been his third visit. Yeah, uh, if, if we take these to be the same churches that he established on the first journey, visited on the second journey, and now for a third time is going through and helping them out. Well, then Luke shifts his attention to this man named Apollos. Uh, he was a Jewish man, and he was an Alexandrian by birth. Um, so. I don't know if that was a Roman colony or not. I can't, I can't quite remember. I don't remember if it's that or not, but Alexandria was one of the sites of the, the library of Alexandria was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And so it's on, they're on the north coast of Africa. 
I was about to say I'd forgotten that, but I just don't think I knew that. That's <laughs> <laughs> good. But it is a center of learning, center of philosophy. And so the fact that Apollos is from Alexandria, I mean, you talk about having credentials. I mean, this is like the, the Harvard ed- education of the Roman world. Uh, he's a smart dude. And uh, he comes to Ephesus. So what's kind of interesting about this is you're like, wait a minute. Like, what happened to Paul? <laughs> yeah. This is kind of like the camera in the book of Acts kind of pans over to Ephesus. It's going to give us, this is kind of a prequel to what's about to happen. It's going to become relevant in just a minute when we get to chapter 19. But it's a really important backstory to Paul's work in Ephesus. He's going to have a hard time kind of having to undo some baggage. And part of it was caused in part by Apollos and his lack of understanding about this aspect of the teaching about Jesus. Um, He's been instructed in the way of the Lord. And notice, I mean, he's eloquent. He's competent in the scriptures. He's fervent in spirit. This is the kind of guy that, like, You'd love to have Apollos as your preacher, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very convincing. Uh, my translation says he's an eloquent man. NIV there says he was a thorough knowledge of the scriptures is what he had. You know, So this guy, he knew how to talk. This is the guy that you would want kind of out doing the public preaching and teaching, right? Yeah. Um, but it tells us the only thing is he is only acquainted with the baptism of John. Uh, man, that would be that, John the Baptist. Right, but that takes us back to our Mark podcast, season yeah. one, doesn't it? Uh, John the Baptist, of course, we'll read more about this in chapter 19 when Paul recaps it, but he preached a baptism for repentance. Um, a little bit different, of course, from the baptism we see in Jesus Christ. Right, in the name of Jesus in particular is what he's going to talk about, and for receiving the Holy Spirit. They're not even going to know about the Holy Spirit right. in just a minute. So he, he's just got it all together except for this teaching on baptism. And what I really appreciate about this is that for all of his learning and all of his credentials, it's Aquila and Priscilla, the tent makers, who pull him aside and teach him the way of God more accurately. You know, I would add one other description to Apollos here, and then he's humble. Mm -hmm. Because if it was anybody else, I don't know, if it was someone who's proud, they'd be like, who who are you? (laughs) You know? Blue collar workers pulling me aside. I, I am like, from Alexandria. You know, like, <laughs> right, like he could, right. He could easily be that. Where do you think you are teaching me? And it's like, don't you see all the good that I'm doing? Don't you see how good my sermons are? Or whatever. I don't, again, he just doesn't say any of that. But he listens to Aquila and Priscilla. And I also appreciate their wisdom here and their courage. They could have said, oh, well, who are we to correct Apollos? You know, what a great speaker, great preacher, but they humbly pull him aside. Right. They don't do it publicly. Yeah, they, they could have called him out right then and there and tried to make him, you know, make him look foolish or look like he didn't know what he was talking about, but that's not how they did it. They they pull him aside, and I like the way the New American Standard says that they explained to him the way of God more accurately. Um, so he was teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, but there were still some things he was off on, and so they had to explain that to him a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but because he's humble, he listens to correction, which Proverbs talks so much about. We've just got to be teachable. We've got to receive correction. Uh, but then he wants to go over to Achaia, apparently Corinth, um, and they encourage him. They, they write a letter of recommendation, basically. And um, he goes over there to Achaia and greatly helps those who through grace had believed. And he's refuting the Jews in public. And demonstrating from the scriptures that the Christ is Jesus. It sounds like the same work that Paul has done. And so 
we get a little glimpse here into the fact that Paul's not the only one traveling around spreading the word. Um, Apollos is another traveling evangelist, uh, someone helping out the churches. And I just really appreciate that, that, um, you know, Paul is going to talk at different times. Like he'll actually say in 1 Corinthians, you know, some of you are saying, I'm of Paul. Some are saying, I'm of Apollos. <laughs> the Corinthians are really impressed with good speakers. And that may be why some of them were really latching on to Apollos here is because, man, dude preaches a good sermon. <laughs> he's, a, he's a very eloquent man. But I appreciate uh, just how all this plays out, that you see the humility in Apollos, you see the courage in Aquila and Priscilla, and it really sets up um, what's going to happen right after this when Paul really comes to Ephesus to stay uh, here in chapter 19. Yeah, so let's go ahead and read that. Chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, No, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with, with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. They were in all about 12 men. So you can see how this connects to the previous chapter that, ah, here's 12 guys who've apparently been taught by Apollos. His name doesn't come up here, but just so clear, Apollos was off on this very question. And it, it's sobering here to think about, I mean, as a teacher, I mean, we're teachers, uh, the things that you're off on don't just affect you. They affect the people that you're teaching. And Apollos here, as eloquent and competent and sincere as he was, had been misleading people about this particular question on baptism. And Paul has to kind of play cleanup here a little bit and go back and say, hey, Apollos is off on that. Here's the true teaching on that. And I appreciate that these 12 guys have the guts to say, oh, our teacher was wrong on that. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of people who they might not feel like they know. But if you tell them their preacher doesn't know better, then they're going to be like, uh-uh, no, like my preacher's good. He's a great preacher, great man, so sincere. Like, how could he be wrong on that? So we see multiple levels of humility here that I just really appreciate in this. Um, so it does describe these guys as disciples, but they don't know about the Holy Spirit. Um, they haven't been baptized in the name of Jesus. They've been baptized into John's baptism. And Paul just points out, listen, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, but he was pointing to Jesus. You need to believe in Jesus, and that is where the power of salvation is. And so I appreciate it in verse 5, they just don't put up a fight. They don't say, oh, but my, my preacher Apollos said, or, well, that's not what I grew up believing, or that's not what my church teaches. Like, it, it, it just accepted. If there's anything that they learned from Apollos, it looks like they learned humility. Um, just as much as Apollos was teachable in the previous story, we see them being teachable as well. Mm. And that's exactly what we want to be, by the way. Um, we want to be extremely teachable people. Uh, we want to be like the Bereans that we read about who are reasoning daily uh, from the scriptures and seeing whether the things someone says are so. 
But we especially want to have this type of attitude that when new information comes in, um, and accurate information comes in that corrects our former way of thinking, we humbly accept it and make the changes necessary. Don't just put up a fight for the sake of putting up a fight. If you see the correction you need to make, you need to make it. Mm -hmm. That's what the Lord expects of us. Yeah. And, you know, this is such a relevant topic to have that humility on because there's so much confusion about baptism in the world, in the religious world. And there's a friend of mine that I was studying with a while back, and he, we were talking through salvation in the book of Acts, and he says, well, I, I, was, I was sprinkled as a baby. You know, what, what should I do? Like, I'm seeing immersion of believers here in the book of Acts. And I said, well, I took him to this passage and I said, here's, here's some people who were doing the best they could to follow Jesus, but they realized their baptism was off. Now I realize, you know, I don't know if there's still people today practicing the baptism of John somewhere, but there are a lot of other baptisms that aren't for believing in the name of Jesus repenting of your sins and being baptized for the forgiveness of those sins. There's a lot of different modes and a lot of different purposes that people have put on baptism that aren't what you read about in the book of Acts. And for anybody listening, if you're confused about baptism, I would just encourage you to go back through, maybe you've been listening to the podcast, maybe you're just tuning in, uh, to just read through the book of Acts and look at the conversion accounts and to see what God wants us to do in response to the gospel message. It's the blood of Jesus that saves us. It's not anything that we do that saves us. But God has set conditions on salvation. And you can see really clearly, just make a list as you go through the book of Acts. Um, so I told my friend uh, that uh, as we were looking at those same examples in Acts, I said, well, you, need, you need to do what these guys did. You need to be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And that's what he did. Uh, later that day, we went uh, and he was immersed in water for the forgiveness of his sins. Yeah, that's an awesome story. Uh, the very and of course he was convicted textually. He was con he was convinced from the Word of God, which I think is what makes that story so powerful to me. I'm thankful that this text was here to help him with that. And along those lines, uh, we will give out our contact information at the end of the podcast. We always just want to say, if anyone listening wants to know more about baptism, and because we realize. The teaching we see in, in Acts is in the minority of what we see people actually teaching out there. And, and if you're convinced that this is this is what you need to do, be immersed for the forgiveness of your sins, you can reach out to us. That's something we wholeheartedly believe in because the book of Acts teaches it, and we have a means to do that for people. Um, so if you just have questions about that or anything, feel free to reach out to us. You can get our contact info at the end of the podcast. Yeah. So after these guys are baptized, um, there's an additional gift of the Holy Spirit that they're given. Uh, Paul lays his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they begin speaking in tongues, that is, other languages, and prophesying. Um, so there's this extra miraculous gift. Uh, we see like back in Acts 2 that the Holy Spirit is given to all believers uh, when we're forgiven, when we're baptized, um, but there's this extra miraculous gift given here in Acts 19. Um, so this is a really interesting first encounter in uh, Ephesus uh, for Paul. And uh, he's going to continue to do some really great work here. Let's read the next section. Um, Acts chapter 19, we'll read verses 8 down through verse 22. Acts 19, verse 8. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him 
reasoning daily in the Hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook it to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I've been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. All right, so... He enters into the synagogue, very Paul custom thing to see that we, we've been looking at through the book of Acts. And he's able to be there for three months, a good long while there to reason with people and to persuade them about the kingdom of God, which is, we saw that word early in the book of Acts in Acts 1. Um, but here Paul, of course, is telling them about this new kingdom that God has planned for people. And it is true that three months is long for Paul not to get kicked out. Right. <laughs> Usually it's a shorter time than that. And so with him being there kind of longer than normal, you expect, oh, maybe there's some positive things. You know, maybe some people are going are gonna to obey. But it says in verse 9, there were some becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people. And so it looks like there was some traction that Paul had been gaining. But when some certain people see this, they start... Speaking evil of the way, um, very interesting. Of course, John 14, Jesus will say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Very possible that's the connection to why Christians are being called the way. We've seen that in a couple other places in Acts as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, these people uh, you know, make Paul kind of withdraw away. Um, he, he had been reasoning in the school of Tyrannus, which I don't have any extra information about that, but this guy, some type of some type of teacher of that day and was allowing Paul to use his facility to teach. And uh, this had taken place for two years. And so all these people in Asia, Asia Minor, as we know it, um, modern day Turkey, yeah, modern day Turkey, uh, they hear the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Yeah. And again, the way that Luke is writing this narrative for us, there's just so much that just happened. This is two years worth of uh, time that just passed in this little paragraph. And I appreciate that, uh, you know, Paul is having some success here in Ephesus. There's already disciples there when he dropped Aquila and Priscilla off. Uh, You know, Apollos had been there working already. Aquila and Priscilla have been working while he's been away. And so there's already disciples there working. Um, But when he goes off, uh, splits off from the synagogue, he takes the disciples with him. 
Um, that there, there's kind of a, a split uh, that happens there. So Paul is given the ability to do some pretty amazing things here in Ephesus that we don't see a lot of other places. In verses 11 and 12, it talks about like even handkerchiefs or aprons uh, that had touched him or carried to the sick. So it's, Paul's not even like right there with them, but it's like things that have touched Paul are now taken away. Reminds me of like Peter's shadow uh-huh. we saw like a while back. Yep. And uh, then we have this very interesting account of these false exorcists. Um, they're Jewish. They're seven sons of one guy. So this guy's got seven sons. His name is Sceva. And they are hearing Paul do some true miracles, some true exorcisms in the name of Jesus. They're like, huh, let's give the name of Jesus a try. Let's see if this works. And it's almost hilarious here what happens. Yeah, because you know, the spirit like speaks speaks back to them, <laughs> right? Like in a confused way too. And it's like, hey, I, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? <laughs> like, yeah. what, what makes you think you have the ability to do this? Yeah, and this goes to show that just because you do something in the name of Jesus using the syllables doesn't mean you're actually doing it in the name of Jesus, it doesn't give the authority. You, right, it doesn't give you some type of magic superpower or anything like right. that, just saying the words. Yeah, these guys aren't actually working for Jesus, so they can use Jesus' name, you know, the sound of it, but it doesn't mean Jesus is with them doing this, and uh, the, the guy with the demons beats him up, and uh, they flee out of the house naked and wounded, and this spreads, this story spreads, and um, the gospel continues to uh, to grow. The name what, of Jesus is extolled because of this. What the Lord can use for the furtherance of his gospel, <laughs> That's right. you know? That's, That's right. It's crazy. But uh, yeah, it, my translation says the name of Jesus was being magnified. Um, just uh, The Lord can work through anything. Um, and that's just such an important thing for us to remember always that no matter how awful or evil, how much evil is out there, God can work through it and use it for his purposes. And uh, as a result, in verse 18, many of those who had believed kept coming, uh, confessing and disclosing their practices. Uh, really interesting order there. They believe, they confess, and they disclose their practices. And it goes into a little bit more detail on that, doesn't it, in verse 19. Yeah, some of them had been sorcerers uh, of some kind. They had practiced magic arts of some kind. And this is really a picture of what belief and then repentance looks like. Um, For some people, it's giving up some other practice in their life. For these particular people, they realize this stuff is not true spiritual action. (laughs) This is fake stuff. And they decide, oh, maybe I'll just sell my books. (laughs) No, they decide... This is bad stuff. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to burn it. And so they have a book burning. And they get together and they count up the value of the books. And again, th- it's hard to name this exactly, but I have a note that I made in my margin. But it's some kind of calculation. This would have been maybe like $4 million worth of books. And look, I don't know how many people are here, but like, I, I just think back to my time in college. And if you took... You know, just the science department's textbooks, <laughs> and true. added the cost up of all of them. That would be a. Re- I mean, it would be that's a, a lot of money. Your tuition, there it is. Yeah, and I'm not trying to say that you know that's equivalent <laughs> by, at all. But my point is, I mean, like books, they were expensive then because they didn't have the mass production uh, that, right. that we have now. But even now, books, textbooks especially, can be pretty expensive. <laughs> expensive books have a long history, don't they? <laughs> yes, they do. Uh, yes, they do. So I mean, but it just shows their their dedication. 
And um, I personally, I really like this text for kind of a, a picture of repentance. Um, repentance is certainly a mindset. Let, let me make that very clear. It's it, And that's what the word means is to, we've talked about this in earlier podcasts, it's to change one's purpose, intent, mind, you know, saying I'm going to do the complete opposite of what I was doing. But there's also an action part of repentance that you will sometimes see manifested in scripture. And this is one of those times where this is, this is a very... Uh, physical and, and descriptive way to show that I'm putting off the old self and my old practices and I'm going to burn them up. I'm done with this. I'm going right. to go do uh, what I need to do to follow Jesus. There's, there's no halfway repentance here. Right. They're all in. And again, we have kind of a summary statement in 21 and 22 that Paul resolves in the spirit. He wants to go through Macedonia and Achaia, uh, which he will, and then go to Jerusalem. And one of his purposes here that we actually find out later in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians is that he's taking up a collection for the needy Christians in Jerusalem. And we'll see more about that later, especially in the two letters, of the Corinthian letters. But he wants to go on to Rome. Um, he is going to get to Rome, but maybe not in the way that he uh, anticipated. And so um, he sends on ahead of him Timothy and Erastus, but he stays on in Asia for a while. I mean, he's already spent two years there. And then there's the three months. Um, some estimates that Paul stayed in uh, Ephesus, he, he's going to say in the next chapter for three years. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, the way Luke is writing, it's hard to tell exactly how much time, but he spends longer in Ephesus than anywhere else that we know of. But the kind of the last thing that happens is this riot at the end of the chapter here. Yeah, so let's, uh, let's go ahead and read that, um, knock out the rest of the chapter. I'm going to read starting in verse 23. About that time there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades, and said, Men, you know that our prosperity depends upon this business. You see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people saying that gods that are made with hands are no gods at all. Not only is there danger that this trade of ours fall into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless, and that she whom all of Asia and the world worship will even be dethroned from her magnificence. When they heard this, they were filled with rage. They began crying out, saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! The city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed with one accord into the theater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. And when Paul wanted to go into the assembly, the disciples would not let him. Also, some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and repeatedly urged him not to venture into the theater. So then, some were shouting one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and the majority did not know for what reason they had come together. Some of the crowd concluded it was Alexander, since the Jews had put him forward. And having motioned with his hand, Alexander was intending to make a defense to the assembly. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, a single outcry arose from them all as they shouted for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! After quieting the crowd, the town clerk said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there after all who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is guardian of the temple of the great Artemis, and of the image which fell down from heaven. So, since these are undeniable facts, you ought to keep calm and do nothing rash. 
for you have brought these men here, who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of our goddess. So then, if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a complaint against any man, the courts are in session, and proconsuls are available. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you want anything beyond this, it shall be settled in the lawful assembly. For indeed, we are in danger of being accused of a riot in connection with today's events, since there is no real cause for it. And in this connection, we will be unable to account for this disorderly gathering. After saying this, he dismissed the assembly. Yeah, so this is, uh, again, classic way for Luke to write. At least the ESV says in verse 23, there was no little disturbance concerning the way. <laughs> uh, the way Luke writes, uh, the ESV keeps that in there. There's a big disturbance. Yeah, <laughs> There's yeah. no little disturbance. Yeah, it means um, this is a big deal, okay? Like, the, this was not uh, a small thing that, that Paul had kind of stirred up people about the gospel. Um, because as we already saw in verse 19, the gospel had affected the local economy. Um, I mean, people were burning these books that, that cost millions or, or 50,000 pieces of silver. And now it's infiltrating this idol worship as well. Uh, Demetrius was a silversmith, and he was known for making the shrines of Artemis, to which Luke says again, he was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. Mm-hmm. Like, he's uh, yeah, a real and dealing. Yeah, he's the mass producer. And it's interesting that, um, again, just in the ancient world, one of the other seven wonders of the ancient world was the Temple of Artemis, or the Temple of Diana, uh, depending on if you're using the Greek or the Roman name. Um, but this magnificent temple, um, there's actually like, a, they've made some replicas of it. Um, you can Google it and find information about this. But uh, this was like the big thing about Ephesus. And actually, uh, the town clerk and quieting them down, we'll, we'll talk about, we know that the city of Ephesus is the keeper, the temple keeper of the great Artemis, and of the image that fell from the sky, or my, the ESP says has the sacred, the sacred stone that fell from the sky. There was some kind of event that they believed was supernatural, and that like, okay, Ephesus is like the city for this particular goddess. So, I mean, as the gospel is spreading, and of course, people are stopping, their idolatry and they're not buying the silver shrines they're not going to the temple anymore um, this is a big deal of uh, in Ephesus which just shows the power of the impact of the gospel is that it is subverting the culture it's 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 spreading throughout the city of Ephesus and it's not the Christians who are rioting or who are going, trying to tear down the temple it's just they're turning from their old ways they're repenting and they're following the Lord Jesus and the, the kingdom that he's established. And so the it's the uh, the idolaters who are stirring up the crowds, who are trying to, uh, you know, accuse them of, of uh, causing all of this trouble. And um, they get this riot going. And what's kind of interesting also, there's several historical notes in this chapter, um, that this... Uh, amphitheater verse uh, 29 into the theater uh, is still standing today it's actually in pretty good shape given how old it is Mm -hmm. it's really cool you can again google this the the theater ephesus and go see where this happened um and i mean if if you google the image there i mean just imagine that place being filled to the brim and people shouting great is artemis of the ephesians for two hours straight i mean 
That's crazy. But, I mean, this is really kind of the mob mentality, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Everyone gets riled up, not even everyone understanding what's going on. Um, the city is filled with confusion, Luke tells us in verse 29. Mm-hmm. And some of them didn't even know why they were there. Right. <laughs> Just like, again, you uh, see similar things happening today with, with mobs. Um, but uh, they... they um, Initially, there's a guy, uh, Alexander, who mm-hmm. tries to quiet them down, but when they figure out he's a Jew, which, it, again, for the Gentiles, they connect Judaism and Christianity, and they think this is the same thing. And so they, they're uh, continuing to cry out for two hours. I mean, this is a long time. These people are very devout uh, to Artemis. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, that Paul, he tries a couple different times to go in, doesn't he? Seems uh, like it. Yeah, the first time in verse 30, Paul wants to go into the assembly, but the disciples would not let him. Um, so I think this is disciples of Jesus, you know, Paul's kind of buddies in the church, you know. Paul, don't go in there, they're riled up, whatever you have you, you know. And then verse 31 tells us that the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, so I don't think these would have been disciples, these would have just been native Asian, uh, Asia Minor, of course. Yeah, well, Ephesus is the capital of right. the province of Asia, and my footnote says that Asiarchs are high-ranking officers of the province wow. of Asia. okay, did not know so that. So these are like government guys, which is really interesting just to think about Paul's other friendships and other connections yeah, to Tyrannus, the culture. Yeah, was, was one we saw also in this chapter. Yeah, so it's really interesting thinking about... Um, how Paul used his influence, but it's like when even your your worldly government friends are like, "Hey, Paul, like, don't go in do, there. Do like, not don't go, go in there. there. Like, yeah. this is not good." But you gotta appreciate Paul's guts. I mean, after being stoned and beaten and all the things that have happened to Paul up to this point, you think he might have been a little gun shy, but he is still so passionate right. about the gospel that if there's a crowd gathered together, he's like. Let me preach to him. Let me, let me get in there. And from what we can tell, he doesn't go in. Like, it, it doesn't look like he even goes in or even addresses the people, which, again, I appreciate in similar moments, Paul has went in, and you, you get your your trademark Paul Gusto here trying to wrestle in and, and go say something. But it would have been to no avail, I would imagine. I mean, it would be hard to have anything constructive to say to a group of people like this. It may have been the last thing Paul ever did. Right. I mean, it seems like with a crowd like this, and I think that's why his friends are all saying, like, don't go in there. Yeah, it's not worth it, almost. I mean, don't, mm-hmm. just don't bother with it. Um, and so, yeah, Alexander, of course, he appeals to them, um, telling them, look, there's really nothing we can do about this. Um, verse... 39. It was actually the town clerk. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah the town clerk, my bad. Verse um, 38, if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a complaint against him, the courts are open, basically, right? Yeah. Like, go, go Don't there. Don't riot. Do the right. due process or whatever. Because just even now, like, riots today you can get in trouble for. It's not like... I think most organized governments are anti-riot. <laughs> like, you don't want people rioting. And the same was true here. Um, they could get in a lot of trouble for this if they weren't careful. Mm-hmm. And so he kind of gets up, the town clerk, and and says, you know, get out of here. Let's let's disperse this law, unlawful assembly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Super side note about that word for assembly. It's the same word that's translated church other places. And this is one place that shows us that the word church was not, uh, the word that is translated church was not a religious word. Um, it's used for the regular assembly. It's used about the mob here. It's used about the, um, yeah, different different aspects here. So that's just kind of an interesting side note. But this is kind of the uh, tipping point. I think Paul does this. Like he'll he'll preach the gospel in the city until it's like obvious. Like, well, okay, like 
we, time to go. It's time to go. <laughs> it's time to move on. So first verse of chapter 20, he'll say, After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. So it's like Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea area that we read about in the last journey. So yeah. he, he's going to go back up through there. And Paul, uh, we're going to see this in the next chapter. These people have become dear to him. He's going to meet with just the elders in but the next n- chapter. But not even in Ephesus. He'll get them to come to him in Miletus. Yeah. yeah. So that Lord willing, we'll get to talk about that next week in chapter 20. Mm-hmm. If you're enjoying what you hear on the podcast, uh, we would love to uh, connect with you in some way. Um, if you'd like to reach out to us, um, 717-585-0949. Email us at capitalcitychristian.gmail.com. If you're, again, if you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, rate, review, or for more information about what we're doing, uh, capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.